Hello everyone, if you have listened to the show before, you know that we like to talk a little MLB news before we get to the players, but this time we talked about it for a a good 20 plus minutes, so if you just want to get to the Fergie Jenkins part of the episode, I have time stamped it in the description. Thank you, and enjoy the show. That's a clown question, bro. So I'm going to kick some dirt! He gets on base. Just a bit outside. I'm not the type of player that's going to be Johnny Hustle. If you don't want me to watch the ball, you can go get it out of the ocean. Hello, Canada. And welcome to the show to be named later where we're talking baseball kind of whenever. I am your host, Christiana. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, it is one of the best days of the year. Today, if you're listening to this on the day that it's being put out on July 1st. Today is Bobby Bonilla Day, a national holiday throughout the baseball world. Of course, Bobby Bonilla is getting paid $1.3 million by the New York Mets today, uh, and he's going to be doing this until 2045. Uh, and it, it, The price is going to increase every single year because of inflation, and it is just a beautiful thing to celebrate. I mean, who doesn't love a good laugh at the Mets' expense? Yeah, I mean... Uh... They just, they've never disappointed ever since, ever since that great franchise was uh, made in 1962 mm-hmm. or 1961 or 1962, uh, they have just been hitting home run after home run in terms of being a meme. Yep. And this is, I mean, this is one that we get every year. You know, this is, as I mean, there hasn't been much to make fun of with the Mets this year, other than like a couple ownership things, uh, you know, with, with. Uh, with Steve Cohen almost buying them, and then you got A-Rod and J-Lo trying to buy them. This is a staple. We get this every year, pandemic or not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and even – it is funny because even the Mets, like they're in the headlines more than your average MLB team during a pandemic anyway, so Mm -hmm. with this ownership stuff. But, yeah, Bobby Bonilla Day is – it's a wonderful day to celebrate for sure. It is. I mean – you know, there's a lot of deferred contracts out there. Like Christian Yelich just got one where, you know, he's going to be getting paid up until like almost 2050 or something like that. The difference with Bobby Bonilla is that uh, he wasn't good. Christian Yelich, uh, of course, is a t- almost a two-time MVP-, MVP winner. He earned his money. And Bobby Bonilla, this was just $5 million that the Mets didn't want to pay up front. So they just kicked the can down the road, essentially. And now that's turned into this giant thing because of inflation where they now have to pay him for 35 years in a row. And this was just $5 million they could have paid, paid up front. So, Yeah, I mean, it is, it is hilarious. I'm going to try to look at his, his numbers with the Mets. I mean, he played a good three and a half years with them. Um, 851, OP, 851 OPS, 128 OPS plus. I look, mean, look at his single seasons, though, like down, like down in, the near, in the early 2000s. Those are the ones. Oh. Yep. That's what they paid. 579. That's, that's what it is. Right, you, want to, you want to read off those single-year stats in the early 2000s for the Mets? Um, he only had one season. It was 1999. But that's the one uh, season that they didn't want to pay him an extra five mil for. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and what do you do? I mean, you, you learn something new every day, and uh, it's – the Mets, will, you know. I will say this, though. There is actually a silver lining to the whole Bobby Bonilla thing. So with the money, the $5 million that the Mets did not pay to Bobby Bonilla, they actually paid to Mike Hampton. If you don't know who Mike Hampton is, he's a pitcher in the early 2000s. He was with the Astros, the Mets, a couple other teams. He was pretty good uh, for some time. Actually won NLCS MVP in, in 2000, I believe. And uh, after the 2000 season, uh, they, he did not re-sign with the Mets. And they got a compensation draft pick, and that compensation draft pick turned out to be David Wright. So there you go. It there we go. Out. There yeah. we go. So yeah, it all worked out. And you know, I mean, a million, a million bucks a year. What's it gonna do to you? Except you it's know, just a meme. It's just That's a. All. It's just a meme. Yeah, it's just a prank, bro. But anyway, we've got uh, some some MLB news, uh, you know, last episode, mid episode, we found out that baseball yes. was officially back. Um, and I don't think uh, we went over the official rule set though, did we? Um, 
we we kind of did, but I think we could go over it again. Why don't we more in depth? So of course you got a sixty game season. Uh, each team is going to be playing forty games in their division, and then twenty games in their other league counterpart. So like the AL East will play the NL East, the the Centrals will play the Centrals, the West will play the West, and um, there's going to be a universal DH finally. Chris, I don't know if we've actually had the universal DH talk on the show, like our opinions of it, but we're both AL fans, so I can I can assume that you're a pro DH guy just like I am, uh, but. Finally, like this, it feels like a long time coming. Yeah. Um, yeah, the universal DH. Yeah, I think we did talk about it before, like um, with, uh, I think it was on radio. I think uh, I think it was being discussed. It was Maybe. like a, a little aside thing during when it was kind of dead in the off season at one point. They do that every year, though. Every year they're like, eh, universal DH, maybe. Yeah, my stance is like, you know, I get if you're a National League fan and you like, I think it is interesting to have kind of like a handicap in the middle of your lineup and having to work around that. But also the quality of play is better with, with designated hitters. Pitch, pitchers are never going to be getting paid for what they do in the batter's box. It's always going to be what they exactly. do on the mound. So everything, I mean, everything else is extra. And one of the perfect examples of why the National League batting is bad Chris, remember Jimmy Nelson? Remember him from the Brewers? Remember that really good 2017 that he was having up until like mid-September when uh, yeah. he he got yeah he got injured in a base running incident and he's never been the same since. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, pro- probably you probably don't want more of that. Yeah, I mean there are countless ex- examples. There's mm-hmm. Stephen Wright with the Red Stephen Sox. Wright. There's uh, Chin Ming Wong with the uh, Yankees yep. in I think 2008. Yeah, they're you know they're not trained to be on the base paths or trained to be swinging. That's not why. Yeah. You're not coming to a ballpark to watch Ching Ming Wong run the bases. You're coming to watch him pitch. Yeah. And you know, the national league fans will point to like, Oh, Madison Bumgarner. Like, Oh my God. Like he's, he hits four home runs a year. He has like a low 700s OPS. He's pretty good. Right. Like, do you seriously, would you really rather have Madison Bumgarner than an actual hitter? Like, even if he's the very best example, that's still not that – that's still a below-average hitter. That's your best-case scenario there. Yeah, it, it is always interesting. And they'll also point out, like, oh, it's more strategy. It has yeah. the bunt. Pitchers double have switch. Been, oh, my God, I love the double switch. Yeah, pitchers have been getting uh, worse at bunts, getting worse offensively mm-hmm. in every single way. And they, it's just because the attention has not been there and they feel like they've been waiting for the universal DH anyway. And then the one last like counter argument is like, oh, the Bartolo Colon home run. That was cool, but let's just be honest. For the rest of time, there will never be a pitcher home run as cool as that one Bartolo home run. If he hits it again, it'll be cool, but still not as cool as the first time. Nobody else is ever going to have that same effect. You got to be in the league for, you know, 20 plus seasons have a couple meme-worthy at-bats because, you know, you swing so hard and you lose your helmet and you're a big chubby guy. It's so funny. You know, listen, the Bartolo home run was awesome. Of course, how can I forever forget May 7th, 2016, when I was in my basement with a bunch of friends and I had to stop everything because I got that notification and I ran over to my friend's house to tell him the news. Like, yeah, of course I'm going to remember that. It was awesome. But it's never going to be that cool again no matter what. Yeah, and, it, you know, the only reason – pitcher home runs are cool is because they never happen they They never there's like two a month yeah yeah like pitchers who rake is a hashtag because they don't rake because they don't rake it's the couple times they do it's like look at that they did it for the second time they did it for the second time this week that's never happened before no no that doesn't happen yeah but uh yeah i mean that's that's kind of our our take on the universe dh we're probably a little biased but, so we have um, that. There's also a, a runner on second base every extra inning. Uh, I, I never really understood. I never really liked this this rule, but honestly, I really don't care. If it means we get baseball, then I'm all for it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't understand trying to – personally, I don't really understand the, the idea of increasing uh, action in extra innings when, you know, you're trying to get – your audience to watch nine innings so mm-hmm. i mean if they don't want to watch the 13th inning i feel like that's like a lot of yeah. a lot of people 
I remember in 2018, I went to a minor league game when they actually had that rule in place. And the game happened to go into extras. And I, I remember just seeing the runner go out to second. I was like, what are we doing here? Like, this, this does not feel right. Yeah, yeah. I was at, I was working at a, at a minor league stadium in 2018. And yeah, that's, that happened. And yeah, it was super, it was super weird. You know, I don't understand the rush. I mean, like, and one thing I will never be behind is a baseball tie. Okay. No, you can't do that. No. Yeah. I, I, There's I think always those people where it's like after the 20th inning do a home run derby, which it sounds cool, like on paper, but like, it's not gonna, that's not going to happen. Yeah. I'm, you know, I guess I'm kind of a purist when it comes to extra innings, just like keep, keep the game just keep the game going. How would it? I, I don't think. And not only that, but like I live, like the diehard baseball fans live for those like marathon, like 18 inning games, like where it's like, all right, well, you know what? It's past the 14th. Let's get weird. Let's see how far this goes. Oh, yeah. I mean, the the uh, game three of the 2018 World Series. Well, that game sucked because I had an ACT the next day. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, for you, definitely. But it, it, it's just like, uh, like it was kind of cool. And like mm-hmm. the fact, it made Evaldi's performance, even though he yeah. lost, it made his performance like uh, kind of a legendary thing. Um, and like being being on social media during an extra innings game is yeah, very fun. When it's like two thirty in the morning, like you know, only the diehards are up. Yeah, like no, like what casual baseball fan that's not a Red Sox or Dodgers fan is staying up to watch the World Series at three in the morning? No one. No. Like it, that's it, that's when the real ones are out. Like no one's just like. Ah, I might as well just watch this thing out. Like, you got to be a diehard for that. The one that I remember and can give a more balanced opinion on uh, was game two of the 2014 NLDS between the Giants and the Nationals when Yus Meropetit had that legendary performance. You know, I watched that whole game, and I remember being kind of upset when Brandon Belt hit that whole run because I was like, damn, I wanted to go to the 20th. And we, I, we, did, a, we did a whole show on that team alone, so uh, go check out that episode. I believe that was, what, episode 36? Correct. Nice. I got it. Yeah. Um, yeah. The extra innings things. It's like, it's so, it's very, it, every time that argument is brought up, it's because like maybe two 18 inning games happened that week. And it's like, do we need to fix extra innings to, you know, quicken the game? It's like, no one, no one who is not watching baseball is like, you know, I love the first nine innings and then, it gets into the 15th and I'm like, Oh my God, I can't stand this. That's the thing. It's like when Manfred's talking about all this pace of play stuff and you see like the numbers, it's like in, in, in 2015, it was three hours a game. And in 2016, we got it down to two hours and 55 minutes. It's like, all right, great. You shaved five minutes. Here comes all the new fans. Right? Like, no, that's, that's not what's going to happen. Yeah. It's all, it's all in how it's all in marketing. It's not. It's all, yeah. Like when all, you know, when you see all the complaints about like the, oh, the baseball is boring, the baseball is, is dull, blah, blah, blah. You never hear the argument that it's too long. You never hear that. You hear the season's too long, but you never hear the game's too long. NFL football games last just as long and no one cares, which it probably helps that there's 16 instead of 162. But still, that's not the point. Yeah, that, that, that's always a point that I've had. Is if, there was, if there were 16 baseball games a year, I mean, that would be – like primetime television every time but it's mm-hmm. it's a 162 game season so obviously they're not gonna th- these games aren't gonna carry as much weight yeah. but yeah it is like and so to get a fan base you have to really market the players very well so and that's that that's mlb's biggest complaint is that they don't do that you know obviously mike trout is the is the main like we don't market this guy enough type of guy of course he's the undisputed best player in the league no one really knows much about him other than just the fact that he's a baseball player and, you know, a lot of people see that as like the number one example of not marketing players, but there, I can tell you right now, there are so many more examples, like the only baseball players I'd say that are marketed well are like Bryce Harper and Aaron Judge. That's probably it, right? Some, there's some newer guys like Ronald Acuna Jr. Those there. are, those ones are good too, but those are like the primary, like if, like, and Bryce Harper did that for himself because like, you know, he was on the SI cover at age 16 and Aaron Judge is like six foot twelve, playing in New York, hitting fifty home runs, so he doesn't really have much to do uh, with his own personality. 
It's sort of yeah. just he's a giant man who hits bombs, and that's what by the way for the audience, just try try to get through a Sunday night baseball Yankees game without just cringing over the love fest that they have for Aaron Judge. Yeah, I have no like, he is six foot seven. Whoa. And they, they they put a picture of him and a picture of Rob Gronkowski. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, oh my God. Please. <laughs> Like, yeah, I mean, uh, it's very easy to market a guy like that, but they can do that for other people. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to, like, Christian Yelich it has a great, per- like, he's got a great personality. He's a very cool guy. He, uh, he He's does in a small movies. market, and he's just, you know, he's put up, he put up the first 1,100 OPS season last year that, that anyone's seen since, I think, 2015 Harper. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, granted, he missed a month, but still, like, that's, so hard to do and he's out here doing it and he didn't yeah. even win the mvp yeah he didn't even win, win the mvp yeah i mean there's a there are plenty of guys i mean like a guy, i'll think of a guy like tim anderson like i know that tim anderson on paper caters more to the old age of baseball where it's like he won the batting title and he gets hits and he gets on base and this basic stuff like i know that tim anderson doesn't translate as well to the new age analytics but he's a perfect, like, you know, south side of Chicago. Like, he throws his bat after home runs. He plays with all that passion. Like, he's another guy that really doesn't get that much attention. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, a lot – I think the, the MLB is doing slightly better marketing their young talent. I mean, they're making somewhat of an effort. They had, like, the let's let the kids play stuff or whatever. Um, and yeah, but until, until they want to get paid, and then we don't let them play. Yeah, yeah. So like they've done well with like uh, Baez and Acuna. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anderson will, you know, if he if he has another good year, I could see a bet a better marketing campaign for him. I hope so. And also yeah. like the the blackouts too. The uh, oh yeah, I mean that's like just you so want it, if you want to buy MLB TV and watch every single game, you can't watch the one in your area. Sorry. Yeah, it's just. It's it's horrific. For, mm-hmm. It's just yeah. And even like you know, look at L.A. Like Dodgers fans literally can't watch the Dodgers in L.A. because of the blackout. Uh huh. Like, that's a real thing that exists to in in 2020 that still exists. Yeah, it's uh, it's unbelievable, and it's just it's a complete lack of um, regard for the future of the sport when you're when you're when you have those strict tv deals yeah so yeah uh any any other rule stuff that we uh missing out on that's about it i'm happy we're getting baseball and i think this this will be good um dodgers and astros are gonna play each other this year yay (laughs) did you oh did you see that thing that the a's are doing oh no so the a's are doing this thing where if you send in like a picture of yourself they will make a cardboard cutout of it and put it in the seats in the Coliseum. And then if, oh, yeah. I, and like if a foul ball hits your, hits you, you get to keep the ball. I did see that. I did see that. Every team should do that. Yeah, that would be, uh, that would be great. I mean, I think that's better than, than anything Korea's. Yeah, like if you can't have fans, might as well make it as, make it fun. And like, you know, if you're going to lose out on money, you could be like, if you're like, I don't know, if you're the Red Sox, you could be like, Hey, if you want your cutout on the green monster, that's going to be, I don't know, $100, which, you know, it might seem like a lot, but you know there's enough Red Sox fans that will pay that much money to have a cardboard cut out of themselves on the Green Monster. You know it. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's, that would be a great way to get back a little bit of money that you're losing without, you know, having all the fans in there. Yeah, I mean, that would be, that would be very good. That, that would, that's good marketing. That's good marketing. It is. It would be fun. Um, and uh, last thing we'll talk about MLB news-wise, and then we'll get into uh, Fergie Jenkins. Yes. Uh, so it was first it was Mike Leak, mm-hmm. then uh, Ryan Zimmerman and Joe Ross, uh, then Ian Desmond, yes. and has anyone else opted out? I think out? that's it so far. Yeah, so those four guys have, have opted out of playing in 2020 um, for various reasons. You know, a lot of it safety, a lot of it just like personal stuff like, hey, I'm fine with taking this year off. It's fine. I mean, I think, I think the most understandable out of that group is Ryan Zimmerman. Like, he has absolutely nothing left to prove. 
in this game. Like, he was the first Nationals draft pick ever. He's stuck with them through the tough years. He just won a World Series with them. He's Mr. National. Like, Brian's, he, and he's got all his money. Like, Ryan Zimmerman has nothing left to prove in baseball. If he retires yeah. right now, you know, it, no one's going to look back and be like, man, he, may, he missed a couple of years of his, uh, his, his career, maybe. Like, he's, he's done it all. Yeah, he's, yeah, and he'll, he'll forever be a legend in Washington. Uh, no mm-hmm. doubt about that. Um, yeah, so those four so far. Yeah, and um, like Mike Leake, I can understand if you're playing in Arizona. Like, that's probably not ideal. And he's another guy who's not – he hasn't won a World Series or, or done anything particularly personal. But he's, you know, he's a solid pitcher, and that's honestly going to be quite a loss for the D-backs. I know that they do have uh, rotation depth, but realistically, that's a guy that was going to give you innings, whether they were good or bad. So that's something you're going to need to replace. Uh, Joe Ross is the youngest of this group. And he is 27 years old, but he does have a pretty good history with injuries and, and health problems. So I can understand not wanting to play uh, with, co- and of course, like, you know, obviously with COVID, but there's been a lot of spikes in a lot of, ca- in a lot of states. Uh, and like, it's Fauci suggested today that like, they're going to keep coming. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's, uh, I guess it's kind of predictable that that stuff happens, but I mean, I think, I think uh, where we're going is like there's a lot of places that are just trying to plow right through this thing. Yeah, um, and the last one was Ian Desmond, who uh, is now playing for the Rockies, and he put out a, a very lengthy statement about why he was not playing. And you know, I think it was really powerful and interesting to dive into about some of the racial inequalities that still. Uh, exist in baseball that not a lot of people really know about. I mean, the he mentioned, you know, there's only one black GM, there's only two black managers in the game, and only 8% of the league, I believe, is black, which is, you know, it certainly isn't ideal, especially in this age of, of racial inequalities being, you know, being put into attention a lot more than they have in the past. And, you know, also you have COVID, of course. Uh, but obviously, like, you got to stand with Ian Desmond with what he says here. You know, he, he, and one thing that he got into, which I thought was interesting, was that whole, that whole, like, he plays the game the right way stigma was, interestingly enough, more of a, more of a white person thing than it was a black. Do you know, did you hear that, Chris? Um, I didn't, I don't think I read the full essay. I think I read. That was probably the most, like, attention grabbing thing that he said. Yeah, I mean. Which, if you really think about it, like, it does kind of apply. Like, I know that, you know, I think the one person that that has ever applied to more than anyone else is Derek Jeter, who is half black. But still, like, most of the times you think about that, like, if you think of the playing the game the right way thing, you know, you don't think of Tim Anderson. Yeah, you, and you don't, you don't think of, when you think of like, oh, he's a grinder, he's a hustler. Mm-hmm. You're thinking of, you know, the, the more like, I think people note the more uh, white players there. Yeah, so I mean, obviously I support Ian Desmond for what he said here, and I think it was really powerful. And a lot of, he's gotten a lot of support uh, from his peers in the major leagues. So it was definitely really powerful and courageous of him to put something of that magnitude out there, which is cool to see. Um, so that is just about going to wrap it up for our news. And we have Fergie Jenkins and the 08 Phillies on today's show. Yeah, we got Fergie Jenkins, probably he's, I would say he's the forgotten pitcher of like the starting, the the age of where starting pitchers became dominant. I mean, there's, there were, there are countless Hall of Fame pitchers from this era. You know, you got Tom Seaver, Steve Carlton, Bob Gibson, Nolan Ryan, Gaylord Perry. um, Juan Marichal. uh, Juan Marichal several several guys during this boom you know i could probably think of a mm-hmm. of a few more but fergie jenkins kind of, kind of gets forgotten um here probably because you know didn't pitch in the postseason and he wasn't particularly spectacular at one at any one component of pitching he was just kind of very good at at everything so fergie jenkins fergie jenkins he grew up in Chatham, Ontario, Canada, uh, one of the 
one of the first baseball stars of Canada. Canada eh? You could, you could, oh yeah, you could argue he's the first uh, star of uh, of Canada. Yeah, you, you know, <laughs> baseball. You you think yeah, you think you got your hockey, and uh, that's pretty much it. You got your curling. I but Fergie Jenkins, he chose uh, to play baseball. Yeah, that's what he did. So yeah, his uh, his mother was a great bowler, um, and his father actually played semi-pro baseball on an all-black team uh, in Canada. Fergie Jenkins would play first base and outfield for a quote-unquote bantam baseball team. Um, bantam baseball, I still haven't found a clear definition for what that was, but it must have been really booming in the 50s in, in Canada. But that leads into what Fergie Jenkins was doing in high school. In high school, Fergie Jenkins competed in track, hockey, and basketball. Of course, he played hockey. That's that's a staple. Yeah, you know, if you're an athlete, I think. Uh, yeah, I think that's. I think that's a semester credit in <laughs> Canada. I think. Yeah, it's a graduation requirement. Yeah, I think you have to play hockey for <laughs> for a semester if you want to graduate high school in Canada. Um, and you know, there. I guess there wasn't a baseball team. Uh, a, base, a high school baseball team for him uh, in Canada. So he competed in track, hockey, and basketball. Uh, he and his friends, however, uh, growing up, they would throw rocks at an ice chute uh, when the rubber flap opened. So like, I'm not really aware of how that works, but it was, it was some target practice with some projectiles. And that came more into play uh, with, with Fergie Jenkins, when boxcars passed on the local railway, uh, Fergie Jenkins and his friends would try to throw rocks between the boxcars or into open boxcars, you know, pr practicing their uh, control and command um, with these rocks. And while he wasn't a pitching regular with these Bantam baseball teams, he would volunteer to pitch when options were uh, when options were limited for his bantam baseball teams. Also, he was encouraged to keep working on pitching by a former Cubs minor leaguer and then uh, Philadelphia Phillies scout Gene Zayadura. This guy Gene Zayadura, he saw Fergie Jenkins for what he was. He thought he was a hard thrower um, and a guy who could control the baseball. He recognized this in Jenkins, and eventually Zaydora uh, signed uh, Fergie Jenkins to the Phillies uh, right after Fergie Jenkins graduated high school in 1962. So now he is in the minor leagues, and in 1962, he has an 0.97 ERA, not a bad start, with a 9.6 Ks per nine through 65 innings pitched in Class D Miami. He then gets called up to AAA Buffalo and uh, got humbled a bit, allowed eight earned runs through 13 innings pitched there. And that was about it for his 62 season. So then in 63, he has a 3.41 ERA and an 8.7 case per nine through 140 innings pitched in Class A Miami. But then he allows seven earned runs through 10 innings pitched in AAA Arkansas. So then in 1964, he has a 3.11 ERA with once again 9.6 case per nine through 139 innings, arguably his most impressive season yet, uh, given the workload in trip in Double A Chattanooga, and then he has a 3.16 ERA through 57 innings pitched in Triple A Arkansas. So this is the year that he was finally able to do it on both levels. And then in 65, he has a 2.95 ERA with 8.3 strikeouts per nine in 122 innings pitched in Triple A Arkansas, and he gets called up to the Phillies. So he makes his MLB debut on September 10th, 1965, and he actually relieves for Hall of Famer Jim Bunning. And he pitched the eighth inning through the 12th inning, uh, and, the and in his final inning, he pitched 4.1 innings pitched, scoreless, with two base runners allowed, earning the first win of his career. So, I mean, one start, one win, not a bad way to, to begin your major league career. And he pitched 2.1 innings for the Phillies in 1966 the next year. Uh, and then on April 21st, 1966, he gets traded uh, for John Herstein and 
Okay, hold on. John Herstein and oh, okay, we're gonna have to cut this part out. Sorry. Um, Aldolfo is that how to pronounce that? He gets he gets traded with Herstein oh, and Adolfo Phillips for Bobby and and Larry Jackson. Okay. So then on April 21st, 1966, he gets traded with John Herstein and Adolfo Phillips for Bob Bull and Larry Jackson to the Cubs. And so now with the Cubs in 1966, uh, he has a 409 ERA as a reliever. And he actually made his first career start on August 25th. And in his starts, he had a 2-1-3 ERA, which is pretty impressive through nine starts and pitched eight plus innings in six of those nine starts and finished fifth in K's per nine with a 7.3. So that leads into his 1967 season where the ball really gets rolling for Fergie Jenkins. Fergie Jenkins, he's now comfortable as a starter. He's actually better as a starter. And now he has a fulfilled role on the Chicago Cubs here in 19. That, by the way, is like something you don't see anymore. Like a guy who is a reliever becoming a starter and then suddenly being a lot better. Like normally it's the other way around. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, maybe Brandon Woodruff would go in that category. but I guess. But was he a reliever in 2018? He was mostly a starter. He was mostly a starter? Okay. Yeah. Maybe I was thinking of someone else. Let me, let me look that up. But – in Fergie Jenkins' 1967, uh, he put himself among the best pitchers in baseball. He finished third in the National League in innings pitched with 289 and a third innings. Woodruff actually was a reliever for most of, of 2018, but he was a starter in 17, so he went starter, reliever, back to starter. That's interesting. That's yeah. interesting. But also, Fergie Jenkins, he had a 2.80 ERA in 1967, and he finished fifth an on-base percentage against with a 275 on-base percentage against. In 1967, he finished eighth in pitcher B war and seventh in pitcher F war. He led the league in complete games with 20, and he finished second in strikeouts with 236. Also, Fergie Jenkins is 1967. It is the only National League season ever by someone in their age 24 season or younger with 280-plus innings pitched, 7-plus strikeouts per nine, and a 275 on on-base percentage against or less. And that resulted in Fergie Jenkins finishing second in the Cy Young vote uh, in his first full year as a starter. Then in 1968, 1968, little side note. I mean, that's if you're unaware, that's the year of the pitcher. That's when... Mm-hmm. Things got, you know, it was already pitcher-friendly. Things got absolutely crazy in 1968. Just go ahead and Google Bob Gibson's 1968. Yeah, Bob Gibson. Particularly the World Series. Yeah, Bob Gibson had a 1-1-2 ERA that year. So Fergie Jenkins, you know, he had a 2-6-3 ERA that year. And you're thinking, 2-6-3 ERA. I mean, normally that's going to rank probably top five, you know, qualifying pitchers. His two six three ERA that year ranked fourteenth uh, in the in the National League, and he also had a two four six FIP. And you're thinking two four six FIP. I mean, that's got to be like top three in yeah. in a normal year. That doesn't happen. Yeah, two four six FIP rarely happens in today's game, but Fergie Jenkins's two four six FIP uh, ranked thirteenth in the National League in nineteen sixty eight. So. I guess the game kind of got ahead of him. And uh, Fergie finished second in innings pitched that year with 308. He finished fifth in strikeout to walk ratio with 4.0, fourth in strikeouts per nine with 7.6, second in strikeouts with 260, and third in complete games, uh, having 20 complete games for the second straight year. And in 1968, he finished fourth in baseball reference war and second in F4. So despite not being in the top 10 in ERA or FIP, him being a workhorse was able to get him in the top yeah. five for uh, both B war and F war, which is understandable. He was a workhorse. Also for Fergie Jenkins in 1968, he finished sixth in overall baseball reference war, both position players and uh, pitchers. 
and he finished 18th in the MVP voting in 1968. So we go from 68 to 69. And in 1969, he was fifth in innings pitched with 311. He had a 3-2-1 ERA, finished sixth and fifth with a 2-6-4, seventh in Ks per nine with a 7.9, also third in walks per nine with only 2.1. And he, was, he had 23 complete games, 23, which is only fourth in the league. And he was also second in shutouts with seven. He led the league in strikeouts with 273, and he also had a K-to-walk ratio of 3.8, and he finished 6th in B-War, 2nd in F-War. So now we turn the decade over to 1970, and in 1970, he finishes 2nd innings pitched with 313, had, 300, had a 3.39 ERA, was 3rd and 5th with a 2.78, still a really good difference between his ERA and 5th that year. And also fourth in Ks per nine with 7.9, sixth in ERA plus with a 132, and second in strikeouts with 274. He led the league in walks per nine with 1.7, K to walk ratio with 4.6, OBP against with a 264, and also complete games with 24. Finished third in BWAR, second in FWAR, and finished third in the Cy Young vote, 21st in the MVP. So Fergie Jenkins, you know. From 1967 to 1970, he's not the best pitcher in the league, but you could say it's about to change in 1971. He was unbelievable, uh, you know, on both sides of the ball. I'll tell you, Fergie Jenkins, I get, I think today would be opposed to the DH rule, and we, you know, we respectfully disagree. But he, he has a good counter argument with his 1971. So we'll we'll start off with the pitching stuff for Fergie Jenkins in 1971. He finished ninth in the league in ERA with a 2.77 ERA. He finished third in ERA plus with 141. I guess uh, Wrigley Field had a, uh, a bad park factor for pitchers that year, so he benefited from the ERA plus, uh, finishing third in the league there. And he finished third in fielding independent pitching with a 2.38, fourth in strikeouts per nine with 7.3, and second in strikeouts with 263. He led the league in innings pitched with 325, wins with 24, walks per nine with just 1.0 walks per nine. Ridiculous. Strikeout to walk ratio with 7.1 and complete games with 30. 30 complete games from Fergie Jenkins in 1971. He was second in the league in B-War because Tom Seaver had another had a spectacularly spectacular year himself, had an ERA under uh, one or under two. And he Fergie Jenkins actually led the league in F-War, uh, getting getting more love from fan graphs there. But that that wasn't the only thing that made Fergie Jenkins spectacular in 1971. With the bat, Fergie Jenkins hit 243 with a 761 OPS and six home runs and seven doubles in uh, 130, 132 plate appearances as a pitcher. I mean, he was unbelievable, uh, you know, for a pitcher. He was above average for, you know, an average hitter, uh, you know, your regular position player. And he led the league in batter war among pitchers. So he was – he had the best – he produced the best season. He produced the best season uh, as a hitter, uh, as, as a hitter, as a pitcher, I guess. I guess you could say. And his 1971 as a hitter alone is unbelievable. His 1971 is tied for tw- the 12th best batter B-war by a pitcher in a single season in the live ball era and tied for the seventh best – batter F4 um, by a pitcher in a single season in the live ball era. And that resulted in Fergie Jenkins leading the league in overall war. Uh, no position player or pitcher had a better overall war than he did in 1971. And his 1971 season is the only season in the live ball era with 30 plus complete games and less than 40 walks. That's insane. Less than 40 walks. Less than 40 walks, 30-plus complete games. I mean, he almost had 
as many complete games as he did walks. That's ridiculous. A crazy year. It is the only season in the World Series era, back to 1903, with 275-plus innings pitched and a strikeout-to-walk ratio of 6.5 or better. And, I mean, Fergie Jenkins had 325 innings pitched and a 7.1 strikeout-to-walk ratio. So he had some leeway with those, uh, with those filters. And Fergie Jenkins' 1971 is the only season in the World Series era with 260-plus strikeouts and a walk rate of 3% or less. This resulted uh, him in winning his first Cy Young Award and finishing seventh in the MVP vote. You know, that's a season. I mean, like the run prevention, but also the walk prevention is probably the most fascinating thing through that entire season. I mean, that's, you know, an MVP year that we really don't see. Like even the best, you know, especially today, you know, even the best guys are going to walk like two or three guys a game as a given, no matter who they are. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, like the fact that he's able to just pound the zone the way he did, but still, you know, prevent runs the way he did is is really impressive and not really something that's seen today. Yeah, I mean, you even like uh, I'm trying to think. I'm wondering what like Corey Kluber's yeah line were in like 2018. That's like probably the best modern day example. Yeah, I don't think, uh, I don't think he got below. uh, I don't think he got to 1.0. It was less than two, but. It wasn't quite that much uh, from Corey Kluber. And not only that, but like less than the, the, you also have to consider he pitched 325 innings. Like that is so much more opportunity to increase your walk count. And yeah, you're getting tired at the end of those games, you know, more than a Corey Kluber type. Mm-hmm. So you're probably a little, a little shaky later on, and you're still able to be just unbelievable with your with your control. Yeah. So now we move on to 1972, where he is second innings pitched with 289 in the third innings, seventh in K-to-walk ratio with three, fifth in strikeouts with 184, second in complete games with 23, and he had a 320 ERA and 328 FIP. He finished fifth in B-War, third in the Cy Young vote, and 28th in the most valuable player vote. So now in 1973, he is fifth in innings pitched once again in the top five with innings pitched, 271, seventh in strikeouts with 170, had a 389 ERA, a 367 FIP, and after the Cubs finished season eight, the season eight and 31, several Cubs, including three of the top six players in BWAR, were traded, and Jenkins went to the Texas Rangers for Vic Harris and Bill Madlock. So now, Fergie Jenkins is in, in Texas. You know he had a a kind of a down year for him, had a 3.89 ERA, 3.67 FIP. And now his career is kind of rejuvenated. He's in a new uh, spot, kind of a newer age ball club. Facing another league. You know, and uh, the, a, new, a new fan, yeah, new league, new fan base because the Rangers had only been in Texas for about mm-hmm. five years. And um, also this is the second year that the DH is a thing. Yeah, second year that the DH is a thing. So Jenkins might be a little upset he, he can't hit, but uh, it didn't show with his performance in 1974. Uh, in 1974, this one is uh, almost up there with 1971. He was second in innings pitched with a career high, 328 in the third innings, uh, but that ranked, uh, that ranked second in the league. He ranked sixth in ERA with two eight with a two eight two ERA, second in FIP with two seven six, third in strikeouts two hundred twenty five, third in strikeouts per nine with six point two, and second in shutouts with six. And uh, where Fergie Jenkins led the league, he led the league in wins with a career high of twenty five. Walks per nine with 1.2, strikeout to walk ratio with 5.0, and complete games with 29. 29. As I say, almost right on that 1971 level. He finished fourth in the league in baseball reference war and second in the league in fan grass war. And that resulted him in finishing second in the Cy Young vote and fifth in the MVP vote as a pitcher uh, in 1974. Also, Fergie Jenkins uh, 
Fergie Jenkins' 1974, is the only season in the live ball era with 300-plus innings, 225-plus strikeouts, 50 walks or less, and 300 hits allowed or less. Also, his 1971 and 74 seasons are the only seasons in the live ball era with 300-plus innings, 225-plus strikeouts, and 50 walks or less. So you take away, you take away the, uh, the hit filter there. His 1971 and 74 seasons are the, uh, are the only seasons in the live ball era. It's only Fergie Jenkins there. Also, he's the only pitcher to have multiple seasons with 300-plus innings pitched, 225-plus strikeouts, and 50 walks or less since 1885. No one since, uh, no one since 1885 has had multiple of such seasons, 300-plus innings, 225-plus uh, strikeouts, 50 walks or less. And that capped off an amazing eight-year stretch for Fergie Jenkins, you know, kind of an under-the-radar guy, but still just dominating, grinding, throwing strikes, his average season from 1967 to 74 was consisted of 39 starts, 304 innings pitched, 22 complete games, four shutouts, a 307 ERA, a 287 FIP, 236 strikeouts, 60 walks, seven strikeouts per nine, 1.8 walks per nine, a 3.9 strikeout to walk ratio. 6.6 B war and 6.9 F war. Also from 1967 to 74, uh, he is tied. He was tied for third in shutouts uh, among all pitchers in Major League Baseball. Tied for third in shutouts, second in complete games, second in innings pitched, and third in Baseball Reference war. Mm -hmm. And where he led in 1960 from 1967 to 1974. He led in wins, strikeouts, strikeout-to-walk ratio, and Fangraph's war. So according to Fangraph's war, he was the best pitcher from 1967 to 74. And then in 1975, unfortunately for Fergie Jenkins, uh, kind of takes a step down, has a 3.93 ERA and a 3.93 FIP in 270 innings pitched. Uh, you know, Fergie Jenkins still grinding 270 in innings pitched that ranked 10th in the league and uh after the season you know maybe a silver lining uh, in 1975 after this 1975 season he was traded to the defending american league champion boston red sox for steve barr juan beniquez and craig scock so you're thinking for if you're fergie jenkins maybe i can get some playoff maybe i can get a taste of the playoffs uh, with the defending American League champions. Maybe. But, however, in 1976, the Red Sox, unfortunately, did not make the playoffs for Jenkins. But Jenkins did, hit, did have an impressive season himself. A 327 ERA, a 321 FIP, and 209 innings pitched. He finished 10th in the league in strikeouts with 142, 6th in Ks per 9 with 6.1, and 4th in complete games with 22. And in 1977, they, they didn't make it either, but they were close. The team actually finished two and a half games out of first place in the AL East. So Jenkins was not able to make it to the playoffs with the Red Sox in his first two seasons. But he did have a 368 ERA that season with a 423 FIP and 193 innings pitched. And after the season, he was actually traded back to the Rangers uh, for John Poloni. So... Fergie Jenkins, he's back with Texas, and he has a little bit of a resurgence uh, with, with the Rangers, at least for one season. Uh, in 1978, he had a 304 ERA, which ranked 10th in the league, and a 295 FIP, which ranked 4th in the league. Uh, he was 6th in strikeouts with 157, 6th in strikeouts per 9 with 5.7, and 7th in complete games with 16. Also, he led the league and walks per nine, very regular thing for Fergie Jenkins. Led the league in walks per nine with 1.5, and also led the league in uh, strikeout-to-walk ratio with 3.8. And he finished eighth in the league in baseball reference war and fourth in F4. Also, it is the only season in the live ball era by someone in their age 40s, age 
34 season or older. It's the only season in the live ball era by someone in their age 34 season or older with 15 plus complete games, 150 plus strikeouts, and 50 walks or less. Only season yeah. since 1920. That's so now we move on to 1979. Uh, kind of an uneventful year for him. Uh, fifth in innings pitched because, of course, why wouldn't he be? 259, fourth in strikeouts with 164, fourth in case per nine with 5.7, and had a 407 ERA with a 445 FIP. So then in 1980, uh, he runs into a bit of trouble with his, you know, general public, in, uh, uh, public image, general uh, public image. And that's because on August 25th, uh, he was arrested for possession of $500 worth of marijuana and cocaine. And, you know, Jenkins was very, he was, he said he was humiliated by this. Um, he claimed innocence. I'm not sure what was, what was happening there. And he didn't really have a history of, of drugs in his past. So it was kind of a surprise to everybody, especially um, the nation of Canada. They kind of, you know, the, the image of their hero was kind of altered after this. Uh, the case for um, this arrest was dismissed. But, you know, however, he was permanently suspended from baseball by Commissioner Bowie Kuhn. He was the original Henry Mejia. Yeah, he was the original Henry Mejia. And just like Henry Mejia... Uh, that suspension would be overturned uh, with Jenkins. Uh, the suspension was overturned within about two weeks by an arbitrator, um, but uh, Jenkins did not go scot-free. He was fined $10,000 by the commissioner. Um, so definitely just kind of uh, uh, an embarrassing thing for Fergie Jenkins. Um, but his season wasn't, wasn't terrible. He had a 3.77 ERA and a 3.74 FIP in 198.0 innings pitched. His 5.9 strikeouts per nine ranked sixth, and his 2.5 strikeout-to-walk ratio also ranked sixth. So now in 1981, he has a 450 ERA in 16 starts with 106 innings pitched. And the big, the big thing about 81 was after the season, he was granted free agency, and he decided to come home to the north side of Chicago and pitch again for the Cubs. And in 1982, on what would have been my negative 18th birthday on May 25th, he became the fifth member of the 3,000 Strikeout Club. Makes his time. Here's the fifth. He got it! Gary Templeton! The 3,000 strikeout of his career! Gary Templeton goes down swinging. And Ferguson Jenkins being congratulated, throws the baseball into the dugout. All of his teammates coming out to shake his hand. The photographers are out there. A historic moment for Chicago Cubs baseball. A standing ovation. It all started 17 years ago when he struck out Dick Groot in 1965. Listen to the crowd. He's a visitor, but a lot of them came to see it. So that, uh, he immortalized himself in the 3,000 strikeout club. Of course, he became the fifth person to do it. And that season, he had a 3.15 ERA with a 3.63 FIP in 217 and a third innings pitched. Yep, and that, that, uh, that's his 1982. And in 1983, um, had a 4.30 ERA and a 4.02 FIP in 167 and a third innings. But uh, in spring training of 1984, he ended up being released by the Cubs. I believe he was 41 at the time. So not a, not a big deal there. But Jenkins did face some, some hardship uh, post-career. I mean, his, uh, his mother already had died young, uh, you know, during his career. Uh, his mother was, uh, went into blindness and, you know, she died young. But, you know, that wasn't the only hardship that Fergie Jenkins had to face. A lot of it was post-career. Uh, Jen 
Fergie Jenkins' second wife died in an automobile accident in 1991. And uh, he found someone else. He found a fiance. But in December of 1992, uh, his new fiance actually killed herself and Fergie Jenkins' three-year-old daughter by piping carbon monoxide into the car. So it was a, it was a murder-suicide that his fiance committed on herself and Fergie Jenkins' uh, daughter. And his, uh, he was married to his, he found a, a third wife. He was married to her for 24 years, you know, a, a happy marriage, but she died in, in 2018. So he's experienced uh, the death of a lot of people close to him. He's a strong um, guy for going through with all that. Yeah, a very, a very strong human being that, that Ferguson Jenkins is. So as for his all-time ranks, he was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1991 at 75.4% on his third ballot. The fact that he went from permanently banned from baseball to Hall of Fame, I mean, how mad is Pete Rose right now? Yeah, it's, uh, it's something. <laughs> yeah, makes you think. 27th overall all-time in innings pitched, 15th in the live ball era, 29th in wins with 284, 23rd in games started, 21st in shutouts, 12th in the live ball era in that, and 12th all-time in strikeouts with 3,192. In the live ball era, he ranks 10th in career complete games, and he is also 24th in pitcher B-War and 18th in pitcher F-War. And he is the all-time Cubs leader in strikeouts, pitcher B war and pitcher F war, he led the league in K's per nine. Or I'm sorry, in walks per nine five times, and that is tied for fourth most all time among among pitchers. He also led the league in K to walk ratio five times, which is sixth all time among pitchers, and he led the league in complete games four times, which is tied for seventh among all pitchers. And now we get into what I like to call the fun stats. We go into mm -hmm. stat head. Uh, a subscription service. Shout out to uh, shout out to Baseball Reference and Stathead. They yes. got a subscription. And while we're at it, shout out to Fangraphs too. Always shout out to Fangraphs as well. But you uh, you play with some filters and you get some some good uh, results, making Fergie Jenkins look awesome as he is. Um, he had thirty five. Fergie Jenkins had thirty five games with a game score of at least eighty five which is the ninth most such games by a single pitcher uh, since they started recording game, game logs in 1904. Fergie Jenkins also had 90 games with nine plus innings, six plus strikeouts, and one walk or less, which are the most such games in the live ball era. No one in the live ball era has had more of these games, nine plus innings, six plus strikeouts, one walk or less. Fergie Jenkins was the master of, you know, grinding out, grinding out innings, getting strikeouts, and not walking anybody. And that stat uh, definitely shows that. Fergie Jenkins also had six seasons with 280-plus innings, 225-plus uh, strikeouts, and 85 walks or less. Six seasons uh, with those numbers. And those, those six seasons, that is the most – such seasons all time and no one else in the live ball era has had more than three such such seasons the next best guy has had half as many seasons with 280 plus innings 225 plus strikeouts and 85 walks or less also fergie jenkins was the first person to retire with 3,000 plus strikeouts and less than a thousand walks uh, Pedro Martinez, Kurt Schilling, uh, and Greg Maddox have done it since then. And Justin Verlander, if he retired today, he would have 3,000 strikeouts and less than 1,000 walks. But it does show that Fergie Jenkins was very well ahead of his time, getting mm -hmm. strikeouts, not walking, any, not walking anybody. He was, he was the best at that of his time. And Fergie Jenkins is the only pitcher in baseball history with 4,000-plus innings, 6.2 plus strikes, strikeouts per nine and two walks per nine or less. Only pitcher in baseball history That's right. uh, to do that in a career. And 
that leads into the legacy of Fergie Jenkins. Fergie Jenkins, he was he was a part of, you know, he was a big part of the late 1960s slash 1970s game, 1970s game that was dominated by the starting pitcher. You know, I've I've uh, I've, I've said a bunch of these names. I mean, there's there's countless guys from this era that were starting pitchers who um, made it into the Hall of Fame. And a good example of that statistically is that 1967, 1968, and 1972 had the three lowest league average OPSs of the live ball era. And that was partially because of guys like Fergie Jenkins. And Fergie Jenkins is somewhat buried uh, by those who pitched in the same era as him. And uh, that leads into a good quote um, from uh, Joe Poznanski's uh, The Baseball 100. The Baseball 100 was, a, was an off-season thing that uh, this guy Joe Poznanski wrote. I mean, I think he's a very well-esteemed uh, baseball writer. And he basically counted down like the best 100 baseball players of all time. And uh, this was his thing on Fergie Jenkins. Fergie Jenkins was, I believe, number 81 on that list. So here's a quote about Jenkins uh, from, this, uh, from this article. It said, quote, He has largely been forgotten by baseball fans, and this is in great part because he was barely remembered in the first place. Jenkins came of age in baseball's golden age for starting pitchers. Because of this, he was more easily classified by what he did not do uh, rather than what he did. Yes, he threw hard, but he was not Nolan Ryan. He was graceful on the mound, but he was not seen as the very picture of pitching, of pitching beauty, like Tom Seaver or Jim Palmer. He did not throw Burt Blylevin's curveball, did not intimidate hitters with a death-defying slider like Bob Gibson or Steve Carlton, did not pitch in the World Series year after year after year like Catfish Hunter. In fact, his teams never won at all, which certainly didn't help his Q rating. Jenkins did not, get, did not spit on the ball like Gaylord Perry, cut it like Don Sutton, flutter it like Phil Negro. He did not gyrate on the mound like Louis Tiant or lift his leg high like Juan Marichal. And uh, that's that again from the baseball 100 by uh, Joe Poznanski. I mean, it, it says it all. He, was, he wasn't recognized for anything very special, even though he was a special player. He just didn't get the attention. He never really got the attention he deserved, um, which, is, yeah. which is changing here on the show to be named later. Uh, also, something with Fergie Jenkins. He was a man of his, meth of his methods, and he did not change that throughout his career. This is another quote uh, from the Baseball 100. It says, quote, What Jenkins did was very simple. He threw the ball down and away. That was it. That was the whole thing. He pitched and lived with a singular focus that was in and of itself a superpower. If he struck out a hitter, his next pitch was down and away. Allowed a home run? Down and away. Men on base? Down and away. No hitter going? Down and away. He never wavered and never backed down and never saw anything but that one portion of the plate. Ferguson Jenkins hit more corners than sunlight. And here's another quote. It says, quote, he wasn't out there to fool batters. He rarely threw a curveball. He never had a changeup. Once or twice a game, he might throw a fork ball, which was a bit slower than the rest. And uh, a quote from Fergie Jenkins, the man himself, uh, basically to close it out, quote from Fergie Jenkins says, quote, I tell youngsters to make the batter do half the work. Throw strikes. If the batter takes them, he'll strike out. If you don't throw strikes and give up a walk, you get angry with yourself. Your catcher is disappointed, your manager is mad, and the pitching coach is unhappy. In today's baseball, the guys by far don't throw enough strikes. So that was Fergie Jenkins. He, 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 he was a strike thrower. He led the league in walks for nine five times. And he, he was a man of his methods. He never changed. And uh, maybe that's why uh, he wasn't looked at the same way as all the other pitchers of his era. 
you know, the most impressive thing to me about him is obviously you have these these crazy walk numbers, but also he's combining the strikeout records or like the strikeout numbers too. You know, he's striking out guys just as effectively as he is now walking guys. And, you know, with the thing that he's not walking people, you suspect that, you know, he's obviously pounding the zone. You know, he's, he's sort of pitching the contact in a way. And that wasn't even really true at all. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is weird because, you know, most guys who have the low walk rates, like, you know, that's why uh, Corey Kluber is kind of a yeah. – was a crazy wonder, especially in 2018. Mm-hmm. But you look at, like, I'm thinking of, like, uh, Zach Granke. Uh, he doesn't yeah. get that many strikeouts – but he has a low walk rate. Exactly. Like Kyle Hendricks has a oh, very CC low Sabathia. walk rate. Yeah. A lot of those guys, you know, you know, a lot of uh, like two seamers and cutters that get soft contact, but not yeah, guys yeah. that are necessarily striking a lot of guys Brady out. Brady Jenkins is doing that and striking people out. Yeah. I mean, literally retired as the first guy with yep. uh, 3,000 plus strikeouts and less than 1,000 walks. That's and right. You know, he needs to get recognized for that. He was a, he was ahead of his time, and no one really talks about it. I completely agree with you on that. So, yeah, that is the end of our Fergie Jenkins part of the episode. Uh, we hope you enjoyed uh, this this forgotten man in baseball history. Remember we, him. Yeah, we've, we've been doing a lot of guys that definitely get their recognition. This is, my, this is my favorite type of players, like the low-key Hall of Famers. Like, obviously, you have your Ted Williams, your Willie Mays, your Albert Pujols, guys that we've done on the show. This is my favorite right here is when we get to – it's like, you know, when people watch our Ted Williams episode, it's you, you come into it knowing that he's great, and you leave knowing that he's great. This episode, you come knowing Fergie Jenks is good, you leave knowing he's great. Yeah, and he was, he was kind of a revolutionary. And, uh, you know, we really hope you enjoyed this um, – if, you, uh, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and you want to watch the videos with us, you know, I know there wasn't a lot of videos today, um, but if you want to watch the videos with us, you'll definitely want to watch the videos with us for the second part of the episode with the 2008 Phillies. Um, you can go to our YouTube channel, subscribe, uh, STBNL with Chris Gianta and Daniel Curran. Mm-hmm. And if you want to follow us on social media, Follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta. Follow Daniel on Twitter at Daniel underscore Curran. And follow our Instagram at STBNL Podcast. I think that thing that thing can get pretty good uh, throughout the season. I think, yes. I think we, have, we could have some good stuff on there. Yes, definitely. I, and, I mean, hey, season's going to start. Probably. Yeah. Maybe. Hopefully. Yeah. We'll have some good, good graphics up there. Good videos. Yes, we will. Um, so yeah, make sure to follow that and, uh, we hope you enjoyed the Fergie Jenkins part of the episode and we will see you on Friday when we are talking about the 2008 Phillies. See you on Friday.